gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then. Well, then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine and, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's a podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room for Friday, August 15th. We're here with a review episode talking about um, one of the smaller movies coming out this summer. The One I Love uh, by first-time filmmaker, I believe, Charlie McDowell. This movie premiered at Sundance. Um, it got some, it's got some buzz, some decent buzz. You know, that Sundance buzz. Some buzz, where, some, the Sundance buzz. Where people, a lot of people really like it, I guess. <laughs> and I didn't see it at Sundance for some reason, because it looks kind of like the worst type of obnoxious relationship dramedy that you see at Sundance all too often. But maybe it's a little more than that. Maybe maybe there's there's at least something else going on in this movie right, I'm gonna beyond make that. A declaration right you're going to make it that? Oh, my God. I'm going to declare something. Everyone, Before we talk about the movie at all, you're coming at it. your loins. No, I'm, I'm, I'm coming at it precisely because we haven't begun to talk about the movie. The so-called twist in this film is not a twist. It is the premise of the movie. And I refuse to participate in any review yes. segment that does not bluntly address it. Um, so I, I was going to state that. So at Sundance, this was very, it was framed as there's a big twist that we can't give away that the whole movie rides on and no one would talk about it. And actually the when I saw the movie. going in the better. Woo. Right. When I, well, when I saw the movie this week, I didn't know, I didn't know anything about it. Somehow that twist had remained a secret but uh, I don't think we're going to talk about it openly here because it is the whole movie. The whole movie is just this kind There's of Kauf- no Charlie Kaufman esque premise that's very strange. And Wait, Charles Foster Kane is a newspaper man. You've spoiled everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if you're very, if you're a big spoiler phobe, perhaps you should uh, rent the one I love, which is on VOD now, or go see it in the theaters this weekend and come back and listen to this. Uh, we're also going to talk a little about The Expendables and The Giver to, later in this episode, so we'll mark when that comes up, and if you want to jump ahead. But right now, we're going to talk about the one I love, which has a big old twist. I would argue you don't have to be a big spoiler phobe to not want to know the premise of the one I love. I think I didn't, I did kind of know the twist or the premise going into it, but I think it's worth not knowing what's going on. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't at all, and but I don't think it ruins it to talk about it. I think there's a middle ground between spoiler phobe and like talking about it. The premise is not going to ruin it, but I, I also it, didn't know what it, going. It's in. almost as if some people on this podcast did not hear my declaration. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think they all did. We are we are about to talk about this movie. Let's let's pull the bandaid off, David. Why don't you do it? You're the most ruthless. What the heck is this movie about? Get us well, into I, this. I'm reluctant to be the one to do it because I <laughs> that's saw true. This you, you saw it eons ago. Festival. Okay, I, I saw it like a week ago. Okay, give it to us, Katie. Elizabeth Moss and Mark Duplass are going to marriage counseling with Ted Danson, which is awesome because Ted Danson is about five minutes of this movie, and that's he it. He's also the director's that's father. That's no, that's Malcolm McDowell is his father. Malcolm he is McDowell, his stepfather. Yeah. Ted Danson's in this movie, and I liked it. That's all I need to know. And well, that's uh, the entirety of the cast, right? Sorry, what's, those three. sorry, what's that? That's the entirety of the cast. Is those yes. three actors? There's some extras yeah. in a diner they go to. All right, fair enough. There's Spoiler. some extras in a diner. There's a Spoiler, diner. There's a diner. <laughs> they go to this beautiful house in. Uh, is it Ojai, Joanna? Like, where? Where in California are we? 
That looked like Ojai to me. Sure. All right. I don't know anything about California. It's beautiful. There's like orange groves. It's a gorgeous place. They go to this house for this retreat. They're trying to rekindle their marriage. They go into the guest house. And they eventually realize that there are clones of each other in that guest house to uh, pretend to be the other person. So uh, Mark Duplass walks into the guest house and he finds what uh, looks to be his wife, except it is, in fact, a clone and not his wife at all. And they spend some time trying to figure out what's going on. And then I, I, I don't think we should tell them what happens. I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I guess if it, anyone's it's listening It's essentially to this, the, the ultimate form of uh, marriage counseling and the whole place, the premise of not only the film but of the, the retreat such as it is, is that these people go there and they come into the uh, idealized versions or you know, what appears to be the idealized versions of their partners. And like uh, the premise of an episode of any reality show where they are sort of forced to make a choice as to which one is better suited for them, um, hijinks ensue. Uh, and I, you know, for, for my mind, I think it's, it's clever, but seldom uh, particularly illuminating i think the w- w- often when you have a high concept like this um and it's not uh, i i don't think it's grounded in any you know anything particularly exciting it gets so wrapped up in in furthering the premise and the little nooks and crannies of what it could entail to actually meaningfully develop develop on the potential of its setup um, I might, yeah i think it gets a little tripped up my my take, I agree with you. Like, I didn't like it getting bogged down in, like, what are the rules of this magical alternate universe or whatever. Which it's it, not for... Which is I not. Mean, which it, is, it takes a while for it to get there, but then there's a scene where uh, Mark Duplass goes on the computer. I, I, yeah. I can't even remember what exactly he discovers, but he has some sort of epiphany where it starts being a rules movie. People trying to, like, imitate the voice. I don't, and I don't feel like it becomes the, uh, I don't think it becomes a rules movie exactly. Well, but, it just but, becomes well, something. Or, like, movie. what is going on here? Explanation well, here's my, movie. Yeah, like, that's the thing is, like, Duplass's intent becomes, like, discovering what's happening rather than, I feel like there's one more twist, right? Like, my preferred premise for this movie would be that they actually encounter idealized versions of themselves or maybe a younger version of themselves, what they were like when they first fell in love. And I think that would be like a very interesting relationship exploration film and the nature of relationship and the nature of like what your relationship becomes when you've been together for a long time versus what it's like when you first meet each other and are trying so much to impress each other. But then there's that nefarious like double twist at the end that where things get more sinister. And, and that's, I liked that less. I kind of like, my idea more, and maybe I'll make that movie 10 years from now when everyone's <laughs> forgotten. Right. right. It's, it's almost as if they were afraid to actually get their, their feet wet and, and really wade deeper into the waters of, of what the premise could help them untangle about these relationships, the sort of right. the, the naughtier elements, not naughty with an N, uh, but the naughtier. Uh, yeah. there's, there's no naughty business in this movie, really, but the, the naughtier elements of, uh, of being in a relationship and, and some of the the ugly sides of that, and I think the movie has such a impish good time uh, running around in a Looney Tunes like fashion with these four characters or you know, two characters uh, and their doppelgangers that it really doesn't bother to to do anything that I, I think is significant. It, it never really uh, elevates itself above the sitcom pedigree that someone like Mark Duplass brings to it. But yeah, don't you think oh. these two are are watchable enough that you can almost forgive it? Like, there's something to this movie just because it's these two interacting with themselves or like these mirror versions of themselves. But well, 
Elizabeth Moss, who's great in the movie, uh, it's really interesting because my biggest takeaway was that this is, to her immense credit, probably the least interesting thing that she's done outside of Mad Men in the past few years. Um, and it's still, you know, a, a wait. She was in decent... Darling Companion with Mark Duplass, which is how they met. So I will revise my statement. My Are you statement. Just I, about wait, the Lawrence like, Kasdan movie, Darling I, Companion? Oh yeah, they were both in it. Holy shit! Have yeah, almost, I never saw it, but I know they were both in it. I could have gone the rest of my life without actually remembering that, that was a real thing. But you, know, <laughs> you, you know, measured up to Top of the Lake and uh, um, Alex Ross Perry's forthcoming Listen Up, Philip. Um, and you know, even get him to the Greek. Uh, she Shut has up. been no. I think, which <laughs> this I think movie is, is terrible. Totally oh, it is. But that. she's she's been you know, and her work on Mad Men is consistently phenomenal and only gets better with every passing year. So I mean, she's been a really uh, sort of quietly multifaceted and, and compelling actress. And uh, I think it's the finest testament to the choices that she's made and the skills that she's displayed is that this is, uh, for all of its qualities, the least interesting thing in my mind that she's done. Well, yeah, I think uh, that the script doesn't do her any favors because basically her doppelganger is a Stepford character. That's yeah, her doppelganger until the very end. Whereas Mark Duplass gets to have so much more fun which, with these two characters. I really liked watching him play these two characters and then interact with himself. Right. You could tell that this was kind of his brainchild because he produced it, and I think he has a writing credit on the movie, and or at least he, he deserves a story by uh, from I what I know. I don't think he no, does he either, but I, I'm pretty sure that he was kind of masterminding this whole project for these guys and kind of put it in their hands. But he, I mean, his character is, his two characters are so much f- bigger and fully developed than either of of uh, Elizabeth Moss's characters but you yeah. wish they could be they could all have something that they were bringing to the table I think I was bothered by his the smarminess that he brings to both sides of his character or both uh, iterations of his character is so knowing uh, that it makes it a lot more difficult for me to actually what, what do you mean by knowing it, it there's like aware of his own presence yeah, in the I film mean, it's, it's impossible to have the sort of smugness that I think that he is implicit to his character and also maybe just sort of the screen energy that he radiates. I've found it sort of palpable in a number of different things that he's been in. Uh, it's very self-aware and it's makes it, it sort of uh, underscores how schematic this whole thing is, how every twist, or at least initially when they're still actually serving the premise, is designed explicitly to serve the premise and the characters aren't really organically benefiting from it. And I think that his he's just sort of the wrong... There is a... S- there's a scene where I feel this exact, like I just felt that exuding out of him that he is fabricating this performance as opposed to, you know, they name drop who's afraid of Virginia Woolf and you wish it could be two actors against their mirror images have playing out that movie. But he stands out like a sore thumb and it's the scene where he's sitting on the stairs accusing Elizabeth Moss clone version of being something foreign, not real. And I just didn't buy him at all. Like she, her Stepford version seems more realistic to me, or at least in the texture of this world, than he does. He seems like a transplant. He's like an actor who got stuck in this house. And mm-hmm. I keep waiting, you know, you, I think we mentioned this a little earlier, that the, the setup for this movie, I had just seen Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice not too long ago. Oh. And I kept thinking about... Uh, 
Paul Mazursky's film. And then I also thought about Synecdoche, New York, the Charlie Kaufman film, about like how this doesn't have to be real all the time or it doesn't really have to make sense, but it can just like boil in this pot. And if you have these four actors, they could be having conversations. And, and it, I don't need to like know everything. And I just wanted that slow boil. Like why can't these actors be in it the whole time talking bringing one specific thing to the table that forces them to argue it's uh i don't know it's i think for me this whole movie kind of derails because of mark duplass and how i don't buy him but it's not like like you object to to it having a concept to the fact that no i'm I'm interested in that twist that we were so afraid no i don't mean that i mean the fact that eventually it does become about rules and like how is this happening and how are we going to get out of this and like what is this just well when someone hits an invisible wall yeah the barrier Yeah, that's when I'm like, get out of here. Yeah, I feel like it. That's Cabin in the Woods, you know. That's like, that's a different movie. Here is it's like embracing the sci-fi element of it and making it something that's about a concept and not sci-fi has probably, as a term, been stretched beyond its use. All right, well, like, do you do you feel? I would buy the sci-fi more if the sci-fi felt like a metaphor for something. It doesn't. It feels like a big twist to have something. It feels like a metaphor for marriage feels like a metaphor for a crap movie. The, rela- <laughs> the relationships do, like pitting these people against their mirror images does, but like explaining why there might be clones and how they want to escape the house, that doesn't seem like something that's relationship-driven. Yeah, using sci-fi as metaphor, I, I really loved uh, Safety Not Guaranteed. I really liked that movie. I, uh, I don't know if you guys no, are on record as despising it. Here's the difference. I swear right? I like movies, though. There are movies out there. No, but here's the difference. is The sci-fi element of that, it's not really... The movie isn't about proving whether or not he what he believes is true. That doesn't become... like. Testing out the the reality of his belief is not the premise of that movie. And yet that's the failure of that movie. If because you say it, so, but because like at I the end it is about that. It's it no, suffers the same it, way. No, it's a that sci-fi is metaphor. That's her taking a leap of faith. That's sci-fi is metaphor. That's her taking a leap of faith in a relationship. Uh, you know, in safety not guaranteed. And this I don't understand exactly how sci-fi serves what I hope would be the greater plot, which is what what happens to a relationship over time. And I certainly didn't like the third twist at the very end, which we all saw coming and was really stupid. It just doesn't really add to anything. It doesn't ask you about the relationships again or the choices. It's just... It's just like Safety Not Guaranteed. I'm glad you brought this up. Both produced by Mark Duplass. So there's some obsession. Which mega franchise from the 90s is Charlie McDowell now going to help reboot? (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. Let's see. Clones. <laughs> what? What clone movie? Out of this world. Uh, no, they're not even clones. I have nothing fundamentally. You know, I think you know people walking to walls and shit. I think everything's fair game uh, as long and, and certainly any sort of like Brechtian devices that are used to distance people from the stories are intrinsic to some of my favorite movies. As long as the sort of self awareness they instill in the viewers serves a purpose and allows you to see the story from a meaningfully different perspective. And I think that this, this movie is sort of a clever idea, desperately grasping for, for meaning. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I don't think that there's really anything of value here to be said about um, the, the nature of being in a long-term relationship and the disparity between how yeah. you see your partner four years down the line or five or however long it's been uh, versus how you saw them when, when Sparks first flew. Uh, I really think that this 
this idea is uh, the you know the the emperor has no clothes um, and is not even that good looking to begin with. But uh, Elizabeth Moss, it's a showcase for her. I think she's fantastic, as apparently she always is. Um, and I, I still have no idea what, sort of tra- what Charlie McDowell is bringing to the table. I think this movie is directed about as uninterestingly as the script possibly could it's be. It's very efficient. It's, it looks <sighs> nice, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was saying earlier that this is, this is my version of an Nancy Myers film. The, the house, the guest house, and then the like recording right. studio, I guess, that's also on the property, are all completely beautiful and a lot of boring white people i would i would go on so many weekend excursions with all my white friends (laughs) and drink white wine (laughs) white 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 (laughs) only my white friends and we would play poker for m&m steaks or whatever it was oh wow extremely white thing this is a nancy Myers movie oh my god (laughs) so so charlie mcdowell's not gonna be rebooting meteor man no, more like Father of the Bride. He could do Father of the Bride Part 3. Uh, ooh, he could. The gay one? The gay yeah. One? Yeah, the gay right. Father of the Bride we were robbed of. Why not? Right. Yeah, we were robbed of it. Um, the, I was, uh, Patches, you always have interesting commentary on this. I was wondering what your thoughts were on the score, the John Bryan-esque score that I, I didn't like. I dug it. I, I mean, it at least makes the movie a little more unsettling, a little weirder. Um, I don't know. It's, it's something going on in this movie. Yeah. Uh, because the funny thing is, this movie I think thinks it's very weird, because uh, Mark Duplass keeps saying things out loud like, "This is so weird," you know. Like, that's that's <laughs> the hallmark of all weird movies. This is weird, um, and you're like, "It's not that weird, dude." But Calm that's down. The point of his character is that things are. I mean, it is weird. Like things are weird, and the entire point of his character is that instead of and you know embracing the mystery, you know he's what's weird? Everything. Committing your life to a single other individual. That's what's weird. Yeah. Whoa. Walking Whoa. into walls, shit happens all the time to me. I don't know what you're talking about. If you were, um, if I were Elizabeth Moss, either version, I would not choose Mark Duplass, either version. What? Dis. Mark no, Duplass Mark- is like a catch. Well, no, Mark Duplass on like the league, like Mark Duplass, the person, but I mean these two characters. I wouldn't choose the like suspicious guy who doesn't know how to do his hair, and I wouldn't choose the smarmy like easy grin guy i wouldn't know how you would choose based on the ending of this movie that doesn't really end right i mean maybe i missed something major here but i i just don't see the development or the epiphany at the end of this movie it kind of fizzles out into twilight zone right we don't understand what's the revelation like because because you know non-stepford elizabeth moss is the most interesting character i think then the choice she makes is sort of robbed from us because we don't see her really making that choice and then we don't see the consequences of that choice for her, right? Yeah, all we see is, like, everyone gets jumbled. He picks someone who he thinks is actual Sophie, which is her name, and then, and I'm getting into a major spoiler here, I guess, but they drive away from this house and try and track down their therapist and then Ted Danson is gone, leaving behind a piano in his office. This That's movie doesn't make any sense at the Ted end. Danson as we is. all do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just Ted Danson's right, way. I'm, I'm bored of this movie. Let's talk about The Giver. <laughs> <laughs> this one goes out to the one I love This one goes out to the one I've left behind Simple 
Uh, David, you're the only person who's seen The Giver, right? Yeah, it sucks. All right, let's talk about something else. <laughs> this <laughs> is what everyone's been waiting for. Everyone David, loves how much when David the goes off The Giver is very, 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 very bad. Did you ever and read the book? Can we start of course there I read that. I mean, what's so interesting about Lois Lowry's book is that it was published in 1993, which is interesting for me because when I first encountered it in probably 1994, when it was already on the curriculum of my fifth grade reading list or whatever, it had already sort of been canonized as this you know, sacred work in children's literature. I had no idea at the time that it was any newer than Where the Red Fern Grows or, or anything yeah, else that I, we were reading at I the would, time. I would say the exact same thing. Um, and here we are where it's become such an obvious precursor of the YA crap that has overrun But it's so funny because uh, well, bet, bet, Jeff Bridges has been, my irony. No, Jeff Bridges <laughs> has just been trying to make this movie for almost as long as the book has existed. He has. Uh, um, and I think, and I don't remember where I read this, but I think that you know, so much time has passed that the char- he, he wasn't initially right. planning on playing the giver. I think he was initially planning on playing the father. Um, I think he wanted it, Lloyd Bridges to play the giver. Yeah, and uh, so much awesome. time has passed. That is this he what he now, did with his Tron 2 money? Like, did he do Tron 2? So no, I, I don't think he had to put it. I don't think well, he had to pay for this. Well, I think he just had to irony. agree to make it a YA movie like every other YA Here's movie. the irony. Oh. Here's Exactly. So this is a dystopian fiction about uh, that's so explicitly about the perils of conformity that it's set in a period of time known as the sameness. And yet uh, it's so <laughs> – the fatal irony of this movie is that it, it – so quick to disavow itself of everything that made this story unique to rush and assimilate itself into the rash of shitty YA movies that the source material had inspired. And so rather than having you know anything to do with The, the Giver and, and the, the sort of – even though it's a smaller budget and a smaller scale than something like The Hunger Games or Divergent, which uh, is – accurately reflects the, uh, the Lois Lo- Lo- Lowry's novel – uh, every part of its aesthetic, every part, of, every beat, every part of its structure is uh, is cribbed from the movies that were adapted from the books that the Giver inspired. Uh, and so it really is so it, – it's such a laughable irony that this movie suffers from and that it reminds you of at every turn that it's really impossible to take seriously. It looks like crap. Brenton Thwaites is hilariously bad. Jeff Bridges more or less – Re uh, sort of re- resurrects his character from R.I.P.D. with a slight. Oh come <laughs> on! Accent. That is uh, that's BS. That you're, that's just low blow. I mean, the supercuts of Katie Holmes saying precision of language will be the greatest takeaway from this film. This is what hot. about Streep? Talk Streep, about Streep is terrible. Um, I mean, she's playing Miranda Priestly with slightly longer hair, but her character makes fundamentally no sense because what the giver is. You know, he's the receiver – the, the giver is the giver. But the receiver of memory is who Brenton Thwaites is. Uh, and he is receiving the, the memories of the past, the sensations, the pleasures and pain uh, of, of the real world before everyone decided to narcotize themselves and, and not feel anything or know anything. Uh, but he is, by virtue of that, the only person capable of undoing the society, of, of harming them and, and – saving them their own ignorance. And yet Meryl Streep's uh, government allows this to happen. They encourage it. They, uh, it's like building an atom bomb in downtown Manhattan and then becoming increasingly stymied over the course of the film as to why that may not have been a great idea. And it's hard to understand exactly how much the evil uh, elders know. But it, by the end of the movie, which is just one of the most Philip Noyce 
I don't know what happened to this guy, but like, Salt is a great movie. Salt, I think. Salt is a great movie. Uh, wow. Come on. Uh, Salt's a lot of fun. Um, Salt is a fun movie. Yeah, but I mean, Patriot Games is a fun movie. Salt is already a man in decline, but um, you know, The Quiet American is a decent movie. But hey, this, is, this is so far afield. I don't know what his interest was here. He's but, bouncing back. He's about to make American pastoral, the antithesis it, of this movie. I, I, so. don't think, I don't think – I think he was really powerless to save this from, from its own script, which uh, as I said, you know, it takes three – the kind of story that is usually bloated into three or four different movies now uh, and squeeze into one, which would be fine if not encouraged – if it didn't so slavishly obey the same beats as those other movies do. And so it feels so clipped that the world building is sloppy. The characters make – you just don't care about anything. It looks horrid. Um, the black and white cinematography, which is pointedly artificial to sort of reflect how – the characters can't see color, only only the receiver when he gets memories. But um, it's it's just so ugly that it's, uh, it's thematic utility is really overshadowed. This is a, this is a hot – Terrible garbage movie, and uh, wow. and and really love like, it when David just, calls things garbage movies. I mean, yeah, but garbage it, movie is one thing, but when it's hot, I mean, mm-hmm. that's <laughs> oh yeah, it stinks. It's it smells <laughs> like Subway Manhattan in, in, in the summer. summer. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I know this, that smell. And, and we we may not have been overly enthusiastic about the one I love, but I would see that movie three times before I saw this again. Uh, I this, like the one I love a lot. Yeah, and the, the one I love is is definitely there's at least. There at least was a, a spark it's in like, there somewhere. It's like crisp, cool garbage. Exactly. You know? <laughs> uh, the Giver is, is really terrible. And I think, you know, I, I do remember it being a, uh, a book that I appreciated as a 10-year-old. And I hope that its impact has not been dulled or lost by virtue of the other stories it's inspired. And now the film that's been adapted from it. Um, Can so I? 10-year-old kids out there listening to this. Can I ask you a a follow-up question, which is like, but do you think this movie is going to be popular with the YA (laughs) film-going crowd? No. Like, removing your... David really knows that crowd very well in their taste. I I certainly cannot claim to to know much about that crowd. But uh, when you see something like Divergent, which was really in the heart of the zeitgeist, uh, and has at least an impressively muscled production uh, bringing it to screens... Do as relatively poorly as it did. I mean, it was it, I mean, it performed by uh, if it had the Giver's budget, I think it would be considered a big hit, but uh, it didn't. Uh, I think the Giver, which I I I really have no idea how much contemporary ten year olds care about it, but I can't imagine that they, they're going to get excited about it the same way. Uh, the response in my screening was very tepid. The adult sitting next to me called it an atom bomb when the movie ended. Uh, but that they could were be positive. No, there were no, uh, there were no children around me that I could cinema score survey afterwards. But, uh, I really I, want I, the David Ehrlich cinema score after. You could really feel the the lack of air in the room. I mean, it was. Uh, I, I'd say it's a safe bet that at least eighty percent of the people in the room actively hated this movie. So it's. Uh, I, I think the wine is in for a tough time here. Theoretically. Um. Hey, Patches, do you want to talk to us about a different uh, <laughs> giant movie opening this weekend that may or may not disappoint? Uh, yeah. So this weekend sees the release of The Expendables 3, a subtitleless uh, sequel, unfortunately. I really, I think The Expendables could have had some good Jerry action-like puns going on. Um, but alas, no. Uh. It's just 
The Expendables 3, nothing interesting. Uh, and I must say that um, I really did not want to see The Expendables 3, if I'm being completely honest, because The Expendables 1 I thought was pretty atrocious. I thought that uh, that was written and directed by St- uh, Sylvester Stallone. Not a good movie. Very tiny, like claustrophobic, just terribly made. Um, and Expendables 2, I guess, was a little better, maybe, but because Simon West, who directed that movie, uh, he just earns points for directing Con Air, a fantastic movie. Uh, and But Expendables 2, again, is like just really bloated and boring. Um, nothing, ha- I mean, the plot will never matter. And I guess it doesn't need to as long as the action's there. But the action's not there because it's so cheap. And um, it's trying to be big Hollywood when really it's direct-to-DVD. And if it owned that, it could probably be really fun. But no, Expendables 2 is horrible. And then Expendables 3 comes along and is kind of It's, it's the dark of the moon. It's the dark of the moon of the Expendables uh, in your In your definition, yes, it is. Um, I actually had kind of a bit of fun with this. It's still incoherent, and it takes a really long time to kind of rev up. Um, so Sylvester Stallone handpicked this guy, Patrick Hughes, uh, an Australian director, to make this film. And he, Hughes had done one movie that he like self-financed, a Western, called Red Hill, which I watched recently. It's, it's pretty good. Um, again, like a low, low-budget movie, but... He can shoot some action. He can make these kind of Western figures into those archetypes and empower them using direction. It's a good movie. And he does some of that here in Expendables 3. He has this touch that finally makes it goofy funny, finally turns these guys into the schlocky 80s stars that they are, that they want to be. And part of that is that they finally put them side to side with like a young team. Sylvester Stallone, his character Barney Ross decides, well... These guys are too old to go on an Expendables mission. I need some hot young people like Kellen Lutz and uh, UFC fighter Ronda Rousey <laughs> to join him on this nope. uh, on this next mission um, to fight Mel Gibson, who is amazing. Mel Gibson is great in this movie. He's the perfect villain. He's so, like, you have actor gravitas going on in this movie finally in this series i should say um as well as in putting antonio bandaras into this movie who i keep bandaras bandaras how do you say it bandaras bandaras i'm so sorry or just antonio antonio Uh, we all know who you're talking about he he actually that's basically his introduction he plays this exaggerated uh, Latin American character who speaks like, so like Puss in Boots. Puss in Boots, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he, he's really playing Guy Fliegman. And if so, Sam Rockwell in, in Galaxy Quest. That's who nice. Antonio Medeiros <laughs> is. And he is so funny in this movie, just being totally wacky and talking all the ears off. And I mean, it's, it's just a lot of fun. But the problem is, yeah, the action is still kind of low budge and pretty incoherent in the beginning until this huge war like the last half hour of the movie is just all the expendables young and old fighting tanks and planes and um uh, just every type of weapon you could possibly have in a movie just a big war scene and it's a lot of fun i I i'm surprised um so can i ask you basically the same question that i asked eric which is um can you talk to me about the Meryl Streep of this franchise, who is Kellen Lutz? Can you tell me about no. Kellen Lutz's performance? Wait, what? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoa. Um, actually, Kellen Lutz, he barely registers 
between all these other bigger name actors. Will will you spoil Expendables 3 and compare him to Liam Hemsworth in Expendables 2? Well, (laughs) Liam Hemsworth dies so early that he doesn't really get a good action beat. So Colin does not die early in Expendables 3. No, pretty much no one gets hurt. In this movie, unless you're a bad guy, Wait, they're I all heard, impervious. Uh, I heard someone got injured. I thought oh, was that's blood. true. This is this is not a spoiler because it happens really early. But um, Terry Crews gets like shot in the ass or something, <laughs> and clearly Does he, he, he hold his ass and go my ass, my ass. No, he he was he's clearly supposed to die, and then script changes make it be like oh he's in the hospital, but we still have to avenge him. Um, so you take like you shoot the they most charismatic actor. Ass. I mean, He's the, the one who had, he had a sitcom to film. He is the funniest person in this movie. movie Why would you take him is out? Them avenging his ass. I don't think he. It might have been his like leg, but it looked like I feel like he grabbed his ass. I don't know. Who cares? Is the action good? It. I mean, the end conclusion is pretty fun. There's like a riff on De Palma's Mission Impossible with all the young crew, and Gibson is just wackadoo. And so is Wesley Snipes, who they try and put make him like the guy who Bond is chasing in Casino Royale. Like, mm-hmm. you think he can do parkour, but he really can't. And the camera work is just so Quick, goofy. And name ten people on this earth who are not in this movie. Go. I, I, you know what? I'm looking at the IMDb page right now, and it's one of the few pages where, like, everybody on the first page of the cast is someone you know. That's, that's pretty rare. Um, the, but the real problem with this movie is Stallone. Like, can we... We're, we're, do, we're done with Stallone. Stallone is done. He's 70 years old. He can't He's do these movies anymore. He's just... There's no... He has no physicality left. None of his fights... They all are stiff and boring. I mean, he fights Gibson, and Gibson looks more in shape and aggressive than he is. He's not in shape to do this movie. And, like, Statham is the guy you should be giving as many action scenes as you possibly can to, but he's sidelined because they don't want the old... Uh, expendables in this movie very much. So when they all get Jason, together so finally with a th- half JCBD an hour left. in this? No, because he was the bad guy in oh. two, so he died. Oh. Um, but I, I have to give this movie kind of like a middling thumbs up, which I hope, you know, uh, one of my Twitter followers, Dave Tozen, uh, wondered if David and I, what we were watching this weekend, because we are girly men who hate expendables. Uh, we are not real men. But I, when I told him I liked wow. it, apparently I might be earning back my man card. I don't know if Dave Tozen actually listens to this program or not, precious, but I hope he does. But you're a girly man regardless. Apparently I'm a girly man, but I might be earning my man card back by kind of approving <laughs> of expendables too and being a little shocked. But you know what? Dolph Lundgren, you suck. I'm just going to throw that out there. Whoa, and Kelsey Grammer, whoa. you're better than Dolph Lundgren. I there, I said it. Kelsey I don't even, I don't even know treasure. what you're, I mean. I'm losing How is the fisherman's hat? Does he wear the fisherman's hat in the movie? Uh, yes, the whole movie. He's he's basically they have like this really long and boring Ocean's Eleven style. Let's assemble a new crew scene, and yeah. it you it mean, makes no uh, sense. Fast Five style. Let's I get well. Actually, yeah, this movie has probably more in common with the Fast series, including them just hanging out and spending endless amounts of time in this kind of like steel cage fortress <laughs> that they always convene in like why is every fast movie that's the same set they're just like standing looking at plans Wait, in this big warehouse fast or both of these movies they're just standing in steel warehouses and in this one they're in um some made-up country called as montaban or something <laughs> um i really hope it's actually as montaban I, I i kept thinking I, I really, of the uh, I, I the mud filled really the mud filled country from dilbert as montaban <laughs> listeners <laughs> the as montabanians they are yeah. proud people no, they are they're oh and harrison right ford there. is in this movie more than i thought he would be oh yeah and he like he's basically the cia guy telling 
Sylvester Stallone what to do, but at some point he swoops in. Of course, he's got to be in the end battle, right? Everyone is. They basically filmed close-ups of everyone so that they're all, quote-unquote, in the same scene together. Is Harrison Ford awake for this movie? Yes, he is. He's kind of fun. He's, like, smirking the whole time, and then when he's flying this helicopter into battle, his name is Drummer, and this will be, this is, like, the most important clip that's ever been filmed in the 21st century. Harrison Ford swooping in in a helicopter going, Drummer in the house! Drum solo! Uh, We are going to be, quote, Drummer in the house! I have a really hard time imagining I'm sorry, I didn't do that in my Harrison Ford voice drummer in the house um <laughs> it is good. pretty, good. pretty yeah. great it, that, uh, that is a lot of fun i may now need to see the expendables 3 <sighs> i thought you were so. going to katie i know i was planning to and then i uh, she bailed she couldn't i handle. bailed Wow. You lost weeks, your man card. Weeks of talk about how you were going <laughs> to see this movie. I know. My man card, I'm, I'm just a girly man. I don't know. know if there's going to be girly an Expendables man. 4. I don't know if we need one. Although, bells, this, right? this caps the trilogy. I will I will say, and I'm really like excited for this prospect, that there is a hint, there's a, a very strong insinuation in this film that Arnold Schwarzenegger's character and Jet Li's character are having are in a relationship now. What? I'm dead maybe serious. This is this is a strong. This is not just like a casual maybe what if kind of thing. There's enough nuzzling that I am like, yeah, it's true. It, they're in a relationship, and I'm like, that's a big step forward. Expendables, congratulations! Wow, Republican governor of California in a gay relationship. This is a uh, <laughs> this is political news right here. <laughs> yeah, so that that's that was a high point in this series. I so I, I, I approve like of Expendables with Three. Our yes. well, in, in that case, I can approve of Expendables Three as well. Hey, Pastors, what was this week's lightning round question? Yes, it was um, in preparation for Expendables 4, which we <laughs> not hope in, is Not happening. in honor, in preparation. No, in preparation for <laughs> what aging what aging male star should be added to the cast of the made-up Expendables 4. Hey, Joanna, what's your pick? Um, I'm going to pick uh, Rutger Hauer, uh, which was suggested. Rutger Hauer responded. <laughs> he <or>? responded, but <laughs> with a very strange answer. Oh, um... <laughs> Sorry, should I do that again? No, it's fine. Know. Who was the person who suggested Rutger? <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick uh, George Doggett's regret, uh, request, which was Rutger Hauer for the supervillain of Expendables Four. And having seen Rutger Hauer's amazing work on True Blood, um, I have to He's go. Seen True Blood? Oh yeah, oh big time. I like Everyone that. That's the amazing work where you're like, we need him in Expendables. No, I'm just like, oh okay, I get it. I get what Rutger Hauer is doing now. Uh, you know, like, he was in yeah, that obviously. Hobo and the Shotgun movie. Hobo with oh, the Shotgun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Hobo and the shotgun. Hobo and the <laughs> it was a buddy comedy. Yeah, that movie almost movie. ended my yeah. relationship. Wow, <laughs> my, my girlfriend was not a fan. I, um, I don't David, of it. Yeah. what was your pick? Uh, well, several people said Chow Yun Fat, but which is a good choice. Bulletproof but I, Monk. Uh, yeah, I will go with uh, Markle, Michael Michael <laughs> Michael Arbiter at Michael Arbiter, who says Larry David. Because we need to see a large-scale action set piece interrupted by a team member complaining about soup. Also, Jews. How many Jews are there in Expendables 3? Not enough yeah, is the enough. answer. Um, any? Mel Gibson? Any? <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's the most anti-Semitic this podcast has ever been. Uh, Patches, what's your pick? Probably not true. But um, a lot of people say Carl Weathers, which I guess is a pretty good 
answer, but I'm actually going to go with at um, Alan Ibrahim, who said uh, Steve Buscemi, mm-hmm. or if you're really shooting for old Steve Martin. But I'm 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 going with Steve Buscemi, but specifically from Con Air, so that we can tie it back into Simon West's filmography. I don't know. I like I like the idea of Simon West's filmography being an entire contained universe. Yeah, it'll be like the Marvel universe. Where yeah, exactly. Characters start think, crossing over. Himself up to that. And then they'll um, all find I'm, Thanos. I'm going to go with Rugby Reg or Rugby Reg, depending. Uh, who said Tom Selleck? He has the Ooh. mustache. I feel like he's ready. I can't remember what he's done since being Monica's boyfriend on Friends. He's in I, Blue Blood. Blue Blood. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mr. Baseball himself. I saw a promo for that. I don't know what I was watching that I saw a promo for Blue Bloods, but I... I'm pretty I, sure that Blue Bloods is one of the biggest television shows on It's coming back TV for right its now. fifth season. Fifth? Oh, my God. Fifth! I know. There's an entire world out there, you guys, that we, we're not here's, paying attention to. Here's the question. Do you want to see Tom Selleck in his Magnum P.I. shorts? Or Yeah. 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 What? So, yeah. Of course. Playing I, ass- I assume he can still rock them. I'm ready. Yeah, of course. Of course. You basically, if you are recruited for the Expendables, you're supposed to play whatever character you're known for. Because Schwarzenegger <laughs> so says Choppa. He just keeps saying Choppa. In this does movie. Kelsey Grammer really? does Kelsey yeah. Grammer play Frasier? Yes, and <laughs> Niles is there or whatever. I don't think if know. Niles were in this movie, I would actually <laughs> that would yeah, be incredible. Would definitely see him <laughs> no one nominated David Hyde Pierce, but maybe he's actually all of our choices. That, that, yeah, <laughs> now that the idea is out there. Although Thanos, did you say Thanos, Joanna? <laughs> I, I didn't. I'm in for that. Anyway. I didn't say Thanos, but he works too. Uh, that does it for today's fighting in the war room. We'll be back next week, somehow making our way through August, which provides so much silly stuff to talk about it's pretty good uh in the meantime tell the people who you are i am matt patches i write all over the internet and i try and put everything on mattpatches.com uh and i'm on twitter at mr patches and i do one other podcast about a very specific topic the legend of Korra. it's called republic city dispatch and joanna's on it I am. I'm Joanna Robinson. You can find me most days on VanityFair.com. You can follow me on Twitter at JoeWroteThis. I do Republic City Dispatch uh, podcast with Patches, and I do a television podcast called The Station Agents. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the editor-at-large of Little White Lies magazine. You can also find me writing for The Dissolve, Complex, The AV Club. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich and at Criterion Corner. I'm Katie Rich. You can find me at Vanity Fairs Hollywood and on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-A-C-H. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling to salads and scrambled eggs. Quite stylish. Maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those salads and scrambled eggs. Again, scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Frazier has left the building.